as I stated today, um, I'm not going to be continuing the series that Pastor has been teaching on, which is about being an overcomer. Uh, as I stated earlier, that today is Pentecost Sunday, and I wanted to commemorate uh, that event by talking something that has to do with the day of Pentecost. And so today's Bible study, if I can get this thing to, to work here, is called Holy Ghost and Fire. And we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Uh, Holy Ghost and fire. We're talking about the Holy Ghost. Now, the Holy Spirit is described using many different uh, analogies and allegories and metaphors and so on. Uh, it's described as the wind in, in John chapter 20, verses 20, verse 21, as we uh, will be reading a bit later. He's described as the water, the everlasting water that quenches our thirst. Jesus said in John seven thirty-eight that he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this he spake of the Holy Ghost, that it, when you come to Christ and you, you take a drink of his spirit, that he quenches your thirst, that you should never thirst again. But today I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit is like fire. And we'll be taking a look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. In Matthew chapter 3, we have the account of John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist, of course, is baptizing by the River Jordan. And the Pharisees and Sadducees and various people came out to the wilderness to hear him preach. And he begins to give us information regarding the coming Messiah, regarding Christ, and about what his function, his role would do, and how it differentiates itself from that of John the Baptist. We see here in John 3, verse 12, Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, or ready for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly or thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And we're going to take a closer look at this passage as we go throughout this study and looking at how Jesus is different from John the Baptist. He's different from any human being. That human beings, we baptize with water, but Jesus, he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And since that is the analogy, that's the... that that. Uh, John is giving us here, or the writer of uh, Matthew here is giving us, uh, we're going to look at fire and how it relates to the Holy Spirit and understanding when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, what effect does it have on the person and the individual? So here's some questions I want to address looking at fire. Number one, what is fire? I'm going to define what fire actually is. Number two, what causes or produces fire? And finally, number three, how does it affect its environment or what it interacts with? We're going to try and address those three questions. And as we're answering those three questions from a natural perspective, we're going to get some insights into the Scriptures and how the Holy Spirit relates to the believer or relates to someone who's being filled and being saved by His saving power. What is fire? What causes or produces fire? And then how does it affect its environment or what it interacts with? I want to give you some facts about fire that you may not have been aware of, but fire is really an amazing property. It's actually somewhat difficult to define. Here are just a few facts about fire. Number one, that fire is neither a solid or a liquid, and it's not an element and not exactly matter. It's more of an event than it is an actual substance. Uh, it's, it's an event because what you're actually seeing is a chemical reaction. It is the visible side effect of what happens when matter undergoes a change of state by means of a chemical reaction called combustion. Fire is not actually a substance that you can necessarily uh, hold. It's not so much, so much a physical matter or property, but it's actually an event. It's a, it's a chemical reaction, which we call combustion, where matter is tra transitioning from one state into a completely different one. Number three, what's happening, whenever you're looking at a candle, looking at a fireplace, looking at any type of combustion whatsoever, atoms that are connected together to form molecules are broken from their chemical bonds and recombined into different bonds to form new elements. You're seeing a chemical reaction. So whenever fire is occurring, these, these atoms, which are arranged in different formations that form different molecules and different um, properties in physical matter, they are being separated and they are recombining into other new arrangements and different molecules. The new bonds that are formed are stronger than the previous ones. So 
just let me just pause here just for a minute. So we have, you take anything that, any uh, object that would burn, let's see, a couch or something like that. The atoms are arranged in a specific uh, 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 pattern to form the, the object, to form the couch. When the fire is introduced and we have this, this chemical reaction, combustion happens, the molecules, or as I say, the atoms that hold together, they are separated and split apart. They're going all over the place. And then they, so we've got someone running the aisles here. Praise God, he's getting a shout out. <laughs> it's all right, praise God. So we have, we have a different recombining of atoms into to molecules from this separation. And whenever they recombine, the bonds that are formed in this new combination, they're stronger than the bonds that were before it. I want you to remember that point. So here's kind of an analogy looking at a magnet. More energy is produced by bonding a piece of metal to a stronger magnet than it takes to break from the weaker magnet. So let's say we have two magnets. We have a, one magnet on the left, we have a magnet on the right, and we have a piece of metal. And let's say the piece of metal is on the left side magnet, and that magnet isn't that strong. It requires more energy. There's more energy being released whenever the stronger magnet comes to that piece of metal and separates it. There's this energy that's released, and more energy that's released in the stronger uh, recombination than in the weaker combination. Finally, which is what's interesting now, the light we see and the heat we feel from a flame or fire is the excess energy released after atoms from molecules with weaker bonds separate and then recombine into molecules with stronger bonds. So every time you're looking at a flame and you see the light from that candle and you feel the heat, what you're seeing and you're feeling is the energy that's being released from those atoms being split and recombining and forming stronger bonds and stronger molecules. Now, how does this relate into the Holy Ghost. Remember that John the Baptist said that the one coming after me would not baptize with water as I do, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Let's look at these facts from a spiritual standpoint. Number one, just as fire is neither solid or liquid, the Holy Spirit cannot be defined by material or physical means. The Holy Spirit is not just a substance, but it's an event. It's not just an object that just I acquire. It's something I live that is constantly moving and breathing and flowing through me throughout my entire life all the way into eternity. John 3, 8, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus regarding the Holy Spirit, he says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. That this spiritual birth, this supernatural intervention in time, is somewhat difficult to quantify and to define. And that as the Holy Spirit comes into our life, this person that was a sinner becomes something new, and we can't describe the origin of it. It's not coming from some physical or material means. It's coming from something supernatural. Number two regarding fire. Just as fire is the visible side effect of matter changing states by chemical reaction, when a person is baptized with the Holy Ghost fire, there is a change in spiritual states that is clearly visible. When fire interacts with any object, there is a, a permanent change in the molecular structure of that object, which it cannot reverse back to its previous state. And there is a visible change. We can all see when something is combusting and something is on fire. In the same sense, we see on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 verse 3 and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance when this event happened on the day of Pentecost and the apostles and 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit the Bible says that this was noised abroad that the sound of the goings on in that upper room it filled the entire city the entire city was up was, was in a state of upheaval as seeing these 120 ignorant people speaking in other languages the the revelations and the prophecies of God there were everyone could see there's something different about them and they couldn't quite put their finger on what this change was they thought that they were intoxicated that perhaps they were enumerated they were drunk in some way but Peter says these men are not drunk as he supposed being at only the third hour of the day but they have experienced a permanent change their the molecular structure of their very internal mechanisms of their spirit has been transformed from one state to another by the divine interaction of the Holy spirit number three 
Just as the atomic connections that form molecules are broken to form new ones, when the Holy Ghost comes in, it breaks the bonds of sin and reforms our spiritual structure to form a new spirit like Christ. We were bonded to sin. Our atomic structure was of the makeup of sinner, of being drunkard, of being a, an adulterer, a liar, a cheater, to being an extortioner, to being whatever, a fornicator, to being someone who lusts, to being a gambler. You name whatever sinful state that we were in, that was our molecular structure. We were by nature sinners. Uh, 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 we were separated from God. So what God had to do is he had to separate the bondage that we were into those to, to sin. He had to rearrange the molecular structure that comprised our being. And so he introduced the power of his spirit and he separated those bonds and he reconstructed the molecular uh, construction of ourselves to make us look like Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I was bound to sin in bondage. In, I was a slave to Satan, a slave to my habits, slave and slave to my addictions. The Holy Spirit came in and separated me from those addictions, from those bonds, and he bonded me to himself, making me and transforming me to a new creation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things that pass will build, all things have become new. Oh, that's what happens when the Holy Ghost comes in. It separates you from the bonds. It separates you from the bondage of sin. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, uh, the Apostle Paul says, What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. That one, He didn't just separate me from the bondage of sin, from the, mo the molecules of sin, but he then bonded me to something stronger, being himself. That when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you get joined, you get attached to God himself. He says, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. That I cannot dissect you or separate you from God because you are one spirit. One spirit. That you are wall-to-wall -wall Holy Ghost, as Andrew Womack would say. Every atom and every molecule that comprises your being, it's saturated with the essence, the goodness, the mercy, the faithfulness, the loving kindness of God. And you become something new. Remember I said that whenever these bonds happen, the new bonds are stronger than the old ones. And that the bond of Jesus Christ, the, 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 the attachment I have to Christ, the newness I have to Christ, is stronger than the bondages of sin. Just as the new atomic bonds that are formed are stronger than the old ones, the bond we have with Christ is stronger than the bond of sin. The attraction of his love pulls away from the desires of sin. That it is his love that ignites the passion in me to serve him, to forsake my old sinful ways, and to cling to him. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 says this, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore loving kindness have I drawn thee. That what draws sinners unto repentance is looking at Christ in his passion, looking at what Christ suffered at the cross, that we see the greatest love story ever portrayed by any narrative, the love story of God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, leaving the grandeur and the splendor of heaven, coming down to die for sinful man, for man that does not even really care about or really appreciate the efforts that Christ is doing and nor is fully aware of what Christ is doing and even rejects and even maligns and slanders and attacks the very one who is trying to save him. What a love story. And the thing is that he looked upon our sinful estate. He looked upon our frame and saw how wicked we are. And he attracted us with his love. He attracted us with his love. That sin, when you get in the presence of God, when you really get the real Holy Ghost, you get, the, I mean, the real Holy, not, not some fake stuff, not some... Not just I persuaded you with enticing words from man's wisdom, but when you get the real Holy Ghost, sin does not look so attractive anymore. I can remember I was, uh, I was at a men's conference. This is years ago. I was at a men's conference. I was playing the piano. We were doing the altar call. And I saw a man come to the altar that caught my attention. Uh, and in his, in his pocket was a pack of cigarettes. And he was trying to get rid of it. 
And he came down to the altar and he was there praying and he was just crying and weeping and he was holding those cigarettes in his hand. He was trembling, trying to get rid of it. And then finally he just looked and just with a look of disgust, he just looked and he threw it down on the ground and began to stop and said, I'm free. And he began to shout and dance over there. I tell you, when you really get the real Holy Ghost, you'll put down the liquor. You'll put down the crack pipe. You'll leave that stuff alone when you get the real Holy Ghost because the power of God will separate you. It will pull you out. It will pull you out. Separate you. And once you get a taste of the real Holy Ghost, it'll change your life. You never want to go back. And the bond that we have in Christ to the Holy Ghost is stronger than the bondage of sin. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. His love is so goodness. The Bible says in Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He, he, he tastes so good. He's so good to me. Why would I want to go to anything else? Why would I want to try anything else? When Jesus was preaching in Capernaum and he, he told his disciples that unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood that you shall not have eternal life, that many of his disciples walked no more with him. And then Jesus looked at the twelve and said, will you go also? And Peter looked at Jesus and said, where else shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. Who else could I go? That No one else has the real deal like Jesus does. That He's finger-licking good. He's, he's so good. I, I can't get enough of him. I got to keep going back to him. I don't want to leave him. Nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate me. The bond, that's what happens when Holy Ghost fire comes. It separates you from sin and it bonds you to something new that's stronger, the love of Jesus Christ. That's what you do in welding. When you're welding something, you're, you're separating things, but you're also bonding things and reconstructing the molecular structure of objects so that they become something new. Let us continue. Holy Ghost fact, fire fact number five. Just as light, like the, as the light we see and the heat energy we feel is released from the atoms or when they are split and recombined, there is a tremendous amount of energy that is released when the Holy Ghost separates us from our sin and joins us to his love. When we finally let go of our old ways and cling to Christ, the energy is released and it can be seen and it can be felt. One of the greatest examples of this from a natural standpoint was, uh, occurred back in the 1940s when uh, Dr. Oppenheimer, he basically helped in the creation of the nuclear bomb, the atomic bomb. The way that an atomic bomb works is that they are literally splitting atoms. Well, there are four different forces that are in nature that, that hold things together. The first is gravity, which we're all familiar with, which is basically the attraction of large objects that is exerted on smaller objects, such as the earth. It's, uh, its energy or its force is being exerted on us, which is why we fall. Uh, what goes up comes back down. Then you also have the electromagnetic force. Electricity is another force that we see in nature. And the magnetic force that attracts, uh, shows the attraction between objects such as metal. Then you have what's called the weak nuclear force. And then you have the strong nuclear force. And this is the force that holds atoms together. And this force is the strongest force known to man that's in nature. And if you're able to separate those atoms and break that force, the energy that's released is what we see when an atomic bomb goes off. Enough energy to destroy entire regions, entire cities. And this is what happens whenever we let go of our sin. We let go of our old nature and old ways. And we finally surrender ourselves to Christ fully. There is a power that is released that can be seen and that can be felt by those around us. If you've ever watched someone really receive the real Holy Ghost, when you, when you can see that transformation, when you can see God rearranging their atoms and then be going from sinner to saved, from going from lost to found, from going from blind to seeing, when you see that transformation, you can feel the power that I was once lost in sin but now I'm found in Jesus Christ there's an energy that is released that is 
powerful that's able to shake the very heavens itself. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 14, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on, on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When someone gets filled with the Holy Ghost, there is a radiance. There is an illumination that people can see. You're walking different. You're talking different. You're acting different. You ain't the same person. You may got the same outfit on, but there's something different about you that I can taste, I can see, I can smell, I can feel that's having some sort of effect on me. The light that you can see, the righteousness that you can see in me or in someone else or in pastor is just the light of the Holy Spirit burning inside of someone. And that's why the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Every good deed you are seeing is the illumination, the radiation of the Holy Spirit working in me. I do not do these things of my own goodness or my own sense of morality or ethics. I do them by the behest of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost behooves me and moves me to make, to do good, to, to forgive those who have sinned against me, to help out the homeless person on the street, to love my neighbor as myself. It's not me doing it's Christ in me he doeth the works this is what happens when the Holy Ghost comes upon us when we're filled with the Holy Ghost in fire remember I said there's energy that's released Acts chapter 1 verse 8 but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, the, the word there for power is the Greek word dunamis or dunamis. It literally means explosive ability. It's where we get the word dynamite from, dunamis, dynamite. Explosive ability. You get supernatural ability when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power. Power to cast out devils. Power to heal sicknesses and diseases. Power to overcome sin and temptation. You get supernatural ability that differentiates and gives you a distinction from everyone else. There ought to be a distinction, a difference between someone who is Holy Ghost baptized with fire and someone who is not. There is something different about you. There is a power, there is an ability, there is an authority that one exerts and that one showcases and demonstrates as they live their lives whenever we are filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. This is what happens when the Holy Ghost and fire comes. So the thing is, the way a fire works, there are three things you need to have a fire. It's called the fire triad. And these three things, they cause the separation of the atoms and the decomposition of the molecules, which results in fire. Number one, you need to have a fuel source. You have to have something to burn. You can't just burn nothing. You have to burn something. You have to have a fuel source. Number two, you need to also have a heat or an ignition source, a spark, something to start it off, that it gets the temperature of the object to actually combust and to begin the process of combustion. Thirdly, you need oxygen. Fire is, is as I said before, it's almost it's an event. It's like a living, breathing thing. Without oxygen, the fire will die out. If you remove any one of these three things, the fire will go out. It will not work. If there's nothing to burn, it can't, it can't ignite. It can't have, you don't have a fire. If you don't have anything hot enough to actually start it, you can't start a fire. If you don't have oxygen, you can't maintain the fire. You have to have those three things in order for a fire to burn. The fire, let's talk about this from a spiritual standpoint. The fuel is our flesh. Leviticus chapter 6 verse 12 says, And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. The flesh is what we need to provide to burn. That's what we need to destroy. That's what we need to kill is our fleshly and carnal will. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That the majority of the sacrifices in the Old Testament under the Levitical system was done with fire. 
you had, there were burnt offerings that were done. Just about almost every, every offering that was done was an offering made by fire. You cannot offer something to God without there being a fire that's there, something that is sacrificed, that's being sacrificed in order to obtain the favor that's with God. If we want to really walk in the Spirit and have the Holy Spirit moving inside of us, we have to have a fuel source, which means we got to die daily. We have to continue to crucify the flesh, continue to reject the things of the flesh, and put those things on the, on the altar. For, to offer to God. That may mean your time. That might mean your money. That might mean your relationships. That could mean your career or your education. Whatever it is, we need to continue to fuel the fire. One of the reasons why that the church is in the state that it's in and that we have so much immorality, so much corruption, so much secularism, so much worldliness inside of the church is because nobody is bringing any fire. Our gospel, our gospel has become an offering without fire. Just, yeah, come to Jesus, believe on Jesus, but you don't have to offer or give up anything. Instead, we have a prosperity gospel that offers blessings without any sacrifice, without any consecration, without any dedication, without laying down anything. I'm just going to believe in Jesus, and I'll just follow Jesus, and he's just going to bless me, and we're just going to waltz into heaven. That is not what Jesus preached. When Jesus preached, he said, you better count the cause. He said, count the cause to see whether or not you're going to get into this. He said, anyone's going to follow me, you better take up your cross and follow me. This is not an easy journey. There are going to be sacrifices that you're going to have to make, decisions and choices you're going to have to make if you really want this thing. If we're going to have fire, there's got to be sacrifice. It's why the devil is running rampant in the church. Uh, I, think it was, um, I think it was Lester Summerall who said this. He says, flies don't, lie, uh, don't land on a hot stove. Flies don't land on a hot stove. The reason why we got devils in the church because we ain't hot enough. The devil won't want to touch you if you're burning with Holy Ghost and fire. He'll get his fingers burned off. And the reason why we're not hot with the Holy Ghost and fire because there's no fasting, there's no prayer, there's no consecration, there's no separation from the world. So the devil can run havoc and steal our children's minds right in the middle of Sunday school. Right in the middle of preaching, someone's on their phone looking through Facebook or looking through Instagram. Why? Because there's no fire. There's no conviction. There's no compulsion to, uh, to sacrifice and to turn away from dead works and sin and repent and turn unto Jesus Christ. We have got to put our flesh on the fire. That is the fuel we're going to use to burn until we make it to heaven. We have to continue to crucify the flesh. That's what Paul said. He said in, in uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the attitude we've got to have. He also said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. That I'm dead, dead to sin, because the bondages have been broken. Now in the text that we see here in Romans chapter 12, in verse number 2, where it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. The Greek word there for transformed is metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis from. For when we have, let's say, a caterpillar being changed into a butterfly. And that there is a visible change, a transformation that it's gone from one state into another. This word is only used about two other times in Scripture. And it's used to describe the event when Jesus went on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And it says he was transfigured. When Jesus was transfigured, that Jesus for the first time showed his apostles his deity, his divinity, showed his glory. That the Bible says that his body, his clothes began to radiate with such fervency, light and heat that the apostles were stricken back and didn't even know what to say. The word transfigured is the same word, metamorpho, that we see here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. When you renew your mind to God's word and you get it and you get baptized with the Holy Ghost in fire, you get transformed, metamorpho, you get changed. And what's on the inside gets shown on the outside and begins to change the atmosphere that you're in. We want to do that which is good and acceptable and perfect before God. We need to have the fuel on the fire. Number two, we need heat and ignition source. The heat or ignition source 
is the combination of God's will and our will. When our will and desires become intense or hot enough, it will ignite or sacrifice the fleshly sinful nature. So here's the thing. Let's say you've got a fuel source. You're, you're, you're living in it. <laughs> your flesh, your will, your desires. The thing is we don't want to put ourselves on the altar. We don't want to become a living sacrifice. When you finally get tired of sin, when your passion and your hatred of sin gets hot enough, you will lay yourself on the altar and that will ignite something inside of you. When your faith meets the word of God, God's will, there is a spark that happens. And then the fuel of your flesh, your will dies and it ignites in the fiery passion of the Holy Ghost. We see in Matthew chapter 6 verse 22, the light, and I have the Greek word there which is luknos, of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single... Thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon, or uh, that's King James English for money. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Greek word there for, uh, for light there, luknos, it means a lamp, a candle, that is placed on a stand or a candlestick. So he's saying the candle of the body is the eye. Your desires are ignited by what you see. If you're uh, driving down the street and you see a, you're hungry, you see a sign for Burger King or Taco Bell or some or Chick-fil-A. And as you're looking at that or you watch those commercials, they make things look so juicy and so succulent and tender. and just You, you can almost smell the cooking as you're watching the commercial. And the more you watch it, the more the passion, the desire is ignited for it. This is also why pornography is so strong. That the more that you're, you're looking at it, the more things you're setting before yourself, the more you're going to desire it and you're going to want it. The Bible says that where your heart is, your treasure will be also. That as, you des- as you're looking at it, it's going to ignite more passions inside of you to have certain things. And so the thing is, the candle of, of the body is the eye. And the thing is, if therefore thine eye, your candle be single, or it's divided, or it's, it's, it's one, it's united, thy whole body shall be full of light. In other words, if there's enough ignition, enough fuel things, things are put together enough to ignite, that you're going to be filled with light and radiation and with power. And the fact, the fact of the matter is, that if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, and how great is that darkness, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. The thing is, you've got to have enough fuel together, enough things together to have an ignition source. Uh, to be able to actually ignite and to create a spark. And the fact of the matter is that our eyes are divided. We're looking at different things, and we're, our passions are all over the place. So Again, I've used this analogy many times before, but sometimes we feel like a nut, and sometimes we don't. We're, we're controlled by our emotions. We're controlled by our passions, and our passions are being fed by what we see and what we listen to. Think of the thing that you, whenever you're just sitting at work, or you're just, your mind goes blank. What does your mind naturally just go to? What does your mind naturally just kind of just, it, it, if it wanders, where does it go to? Because that kind of gives you your kind of a benchmark of where your heart is. That kind of gives you an idea of where your, your mind is because that's where it wants to go, right? You're at work and you're, you're wanting, you don't want to be here. You're tired of work and your mind begins to drift. Where does it go to? Because that's, that's where your heart wants to go to, right? And the thing is, because our passions are divided all over the place, we, ha- we can't get enough heat to ignite the fuel source of the flesh to finally sacrifice and lay down ourselves for Christ. Proverbs 20 verse 27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. That your spirit man is, is ignited by what you see, and the fuel source is then uh, uh, set ablaze by you looking at the things of God. That's why the, the writer of Hebrews said, Looking unto Jesus who's the author and the finisher of our faith. We look at Jesus, we transfix our gaze towards heaven and looking at heavenly things so that our, our heart will be towards heaven and not on the things of the earth. We're not going to get distracted by the, the temporary blessings that are here on the earth, but instead our eyes are on the kingdom of God. We need a heat and ignition source. The word ignites the flame. So here's the thing. Whenever we don't have a good ignition source, we don't have, you know what, I'm not, really, uh, I'm not really feeling this thing. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like, you know, whatever. We're kind of apathetic. We're going through the motions. What we need is the word. The word, the word of God rightly divided and rightly preached should ignite something in you. Just, this is kind of a side note, but um, when you're reading the Gospels, uh, and the, the writers of the Gospels and also the, uh, the, the Jews and the Pharisees, they said there was something different about the teaching of Jesus. And one of the things they said is that, that whenever he teaches, he teaches with authority and with power. 
that not as the scribes and the Pharisees do. When the scribes and the Pharisees, they're, they're teaching from, you know, commentaries and other things. But Jesus is teaching from authority because he wrote the book. And what's interesting is that whenever Jesus taught in the synagogue, people that were demon-possessed began to manifest. But that wouldn't happen when the Pharisees and the, and the scribes were, were teaching. But when Jesus taught and preached, the demons couldn't hide. Why? Because he was too hot for them. He's the living word. And when he came in, devils start, start manifesting going crazy because they couldn't hide. You try and hide. You try, here's something kind of funny that happened. One time I was, um, I was uh, in bed and I was, I was awake, but I didn't really want to get up. And um, <laughs> here, come here, come here, which brother was, I think it was my brother Paul who might have did this. But uh, I, had a, I had a space, he was kind of cold in the room, and I was pretending to be asleep. My brother put the, the heat like right on my face. <laughs> And I was like, I'm, I'm sweating like, oh, <laughs> our preaching ought to make people feel a little bit too uncomfortable. I'm not preaching good enough if you ain't sweating a little bit. I, I'm not preaching good enough if I'm not making you feel a little bit uncomfortable. You can't stay in sin. You can't stay in your sin too much longer because it's just it's getting too hot in here. When Jesus preached, the devils couldn't say quietly, stop it, Jesus. Why have you come to torment us, Jesus? Stop your preaching. His teaching would ignite such a hot flame under them that they had to come out. And that's why we got too many people, people sitting in church living sin because the word ain't being preached. It ain't being taught. We're getting self-help stuff. We're getting, uh, you know, all sorts of philosophy, but we're not getting the word. Because the word should ignite a flame in you to make you uh, uh, change from your sinful ways and turn towards Jesus. When I don't feel like it, I need a preacher to slap me upside the head and get me back on the straight and narrow. I need the word of God to convict me and show me that I need a savior to be saved. I cannot save myself. My good works can do nothing. I need Jesus to save me. I cannot slack. I cannot get comfortable in where I'm sitting or where I'm standing. Because that's what the Laodiceans, that's what happened with them. What did Jesus say? He said, y'all lukewarm. You cooled off. You used to be hot, but now you cooled off. Now you're fully cold. You're kind of in between. You're divided. And so now I've sent a word to you to light a fire under you to show you that you're naked, that you're despised, so that you'll repent. Because if you don't, what? Your candlestick is going to be removed from here. We need the word of God. The word of God is what ignites the flames. Because our will is divided, the heat is dissipated, and our flesh never reaches ignition temperature. Our will has become the fire has become fire resistant in that it is stubborn and doesn't want to yield to God. This is why the word of God must be preached with power to break it. Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine says, "Is not my word like as a fire, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces?" That the word of God rightly divided, preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it begins to break and crack the will of man until it finally. Shatters, so there's nothing left so that, that God can really move and work inside of that individual. He says, it's not my word like as a fire. And that's why even though Jeremiah was threatened with persecution, was in prison, was tortured, was slandered and isolated, rejected by men, why he couldn't stop preaching. Why? Jeremiah 20 verse 9, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire. Shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing and could not stay. I start thinking about the word, start thinking about his promises, start thinking about the goodness of Jesus, and something gets a hold of me that my foot starts tapping. I can't, I start shaking, I can't keep quiet because he's been too good. I've got to tell somebody. I've got to tell somebody about Jesus. His word was in my heart as a flame of fire. Shut up in my bones. Couldn't keep quiet. Couldn't sit still. Couldn't keep this a secret. I had to tell someone. We need the word of God preached. The word of God preached rightly divided, clearly under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to ignite the flame underneath our seats to get us off of our pews and out in the streets to preach the gospel. That's what we need. Let us continue. So now, the oxygen source is the Holy Ghost. Even though i got a fuel source. And maybe I've got a, a, I'm passionate about God, but if I don't have the Holy Spirit to, to breathe life into this thing, then it's just dead religion. 
It's just that they've got a lot of people with PhDs can speak Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and can, can dissect the text and can teach all sorts of stuff, but they don't have the Spirit of God breathing in them. And the Spirit of God, because the Spirit of God is not breathing in them, there's no true separation from sin. There's no true freedom and liberty. There's no true, all you have is philosophy and man's uh, religion. And that's why Paul said, he said, I came not with enticing words and man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God. That's what he came. We need the oxen, the Holy Spirit, to breathe on us. John 20, verse 21 says this, Jesus, after he had risen from the grave, then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, when Jesus did this, he was actually reenacting uh, the event in creation in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says that when God formed man out of the dust of the ground and he, he breathed into man's nostrils and man became a living soul. That first breath that went into man's nostrils, he became a living soul. And when Jesus came to his disciples trying to get them to understand the fire of the Holy Ghost, he breathed on them and said, receive you the Holy Ghost because the Holy Spirit is that which animates, that which enables, that which empowers the individual to live out the life of God, to live a life of righteousness separated from sin. You need the Holy Spirit to breathe on you. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all in one accord, in one place. Again, one. They were united. They had a passion for God. There, there's our passion. They had a fuel source. They had their flesh. Their will was subjugated unto God. Verse 2, and suddenly there came as a sound from heaven as of a rushing, a mighty wind. Here comes that oxygen breathing in. And it, set, it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We see right there all three elements there. We see the fuel. We see also the, the ignition source, and we also see the oxygen of the Holy Spirit breathing, and then there was a fire that started from there in Jerusalem and spread throughout the entire world, the birth of the church. And unto this day, 2,000 years later, people are still experiencing the same transforming power. Oh, it's so awesome. We got to have Holy Ghost and fire. Let's look back now at our main text of that understanding in Matthew chapter 3, where John the Baptist is baptizing people by the river Jordan, and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they come to witness this event. So, as I said, John the Baptist is baptizing people. He sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees and coming, and he then begins to rebuke them and to chastise them. Matthew 3, 8, bring forth therefore fruits Meet for repentance. Let's just pause there just for a minute. He says, okay, you come in to hear my preaching. If you're coming to hear my preaching, then you got to bring the goods. you got to bring something that actually proves, that shows that you're truly going to repent. Because without repentance, there can be no remission of sin. There can be no transformation. And that, that's what's lacking in the preaching. There's no preaching about repentance. No revival has started without there being a call to repentance, a call to turn away from dead works and the ways of sin. And he said, look, y'all coming up here, you coming to this altar, you coming here, with, I'm baptizing folks, then you better come here ready to truly repent. Bring fruits, bring works, bring, show some evidence, show that you're serious about this thing, about changing your life. Verse 9, and think not to say within ourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. The thing about the Jews is that they always relied on their pedigree. They looked back and always looked at our father Abraham, who was the first Jew, the person of promise from which all the, the edicts and, and all the goodness of God flows from. And that because we're the, the chosen ones, we're the people of God, we're the sons of Abraham, then we are inherently righteous. Because I was born within the tribes of Israel, I got it made, I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm automatically in. Right? That was the attitude. And that was the thing that Jesus had to contend with also whenever he was preaching. He said, look, as long as you think that you're free, but, but you're actually in bondage because you're enslaved to sin itself. And so he said, look, don't think here that just because you're a child of Abraham, that you're special, that you're on the end list, that God can make stones be the children of Abraham if he wanted to. That doesn't make you anything special. You, don't, you can't get in on your father's coattail. You can't, you can't get in because you came from the right family on the right side of the tracks. That you, there's something you've got to bring to the table that's going to allow you to get into this kingdom of God thing that we're talking about. And it's not going to be where you were born from. That is unless you're born again. Let's continue. John warns them that God's judgment is ready to remove anyone who is not truly sincere 
He uses fire to illustrate the destruction of the wicked. He points to a person who alone has this fire. He can only baptize individual in water, but this person baptized with fire. And he points out the fire has two different purposes. Let's look here in Matthew 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize with you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The Holy Ghost and fire had two different purposes, as we see here. Not sure if you can see this, this picture very well. This is a man that's he's literally on fire. And the thing is, when you get baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, there's, there's, or you're getting affected by the Holy Ghost and fire, there's two things that are going to possibly happen. Fire throughout the Scripture has multiple purposes, it is used to destroy the wicked in judgment, but is also used to purge, cleanse, and purify. The fire of God burns away sin out of the godly, but it consumes the ungodly. If they cleave to that sin, the godly love, uh, uh, the godly love the fire of God, but the hypocrite is terrified of it because they won't let go of the thing that God wants to burn up. The Holy Ghost and fire, when, when the Holy Ghost and fire starts coming down in the service, and we've got one person who's giving up their sin and saying, God save me, and the other person who's, who's not wanting to give it up. One person is being purified and being purged and being cleansed. The other person is receiving judgment. When the fire of God came down in the Old Testament, it was a sign of judgment. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. When fire came down, it was a sign of judgment. The burnt offering or the burnt altar was, uh, or the bronze altar was, was used to show God's judgment on sin. And so what happens is the fire of God will either do one thing. It's either going to purify and save you or it's going to destroy you. And what distinguishes you from being destroyed or purified is what you're holding on to. If you're holding on to the thing that God is trying to destroy, then guess what? You're going to get burned up and be destroyed with it. And the thing is, we won't let go of our stinking habits, the thing that God wants to destroy with his fire. We won't let go of those relationships. We won't let go of those dreams. We won't let go of that bitterness or that hurt that we're holding on to. And God's saying, I'm trying to burn that up, trying to destroy that, get rid of it. But you keep holding on to it. And because you keep holding on to it, then the judgment of God is going to fall on you. And instead of being purged and being purified and having the garbage cleared from your soul, instead you're going to go up in flame just like with it. And so this has a dual nature. He said, look here, Pharisees and Sadducees. I don't have the power to do this, but someone's coming after me who's got the fire. And when he comes, when he preaches and he brings the heat, so to speak, you're either going to get cleansed from your sin or you're going to be burned up with it. Hypocrites hold on to, the, to, to their sin while simultaneously reaching towards God. And because of that, they are burned up. Isaiah 33 verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? That's what's happening here, folks. People are not going to hell because God is sending them to hell. They're going to hell because they won't let go of the thing that's dragging them to hell. That's what's happening. God's saying, let go of it. Let go of your self-righteous attitude. Let go of your bitterness. Let go of your hurt and your traumas. Let go of your disappointments. Let go of your fears and your anxiety. Let go of your habits and your lusts and your desires. Let go of your addictions. Let go of it. Let it go. Give it to me. Let me cast into the lake of fire. And as God has cast the lake of fire, they're just hanging on to it. And they're going right with it into the very lake. Because the absence of filth and dirtiness is purity. And those of us who finally let go as God is judging the sin, we're pure and we're holy. We're separated from them. But this is the problem that we have in the church is that nobody's preaching this. No one's saying to let go of your sin. We want Jesus to save us in our sin as well as Jesus saving us from our sin. You understand the difference? Saving us in our sin versus saving us from our sin. We want Jesus to put a label and say, yep, you're saved, and you just keep living your life as you are. I can stay in my sin. Save me in my sin. Instead of save me from my sin, separating me from my sin. Fire separates. It breaks the bonds, remember? It changes the molecular state of whatever it, in, it encounters. And that's why we have a lot of people that aren't really saved. we got just convicted sinners, but not actually people that are saved because there's been no fire. They've not, been, they've not really had the fire change them and purge them of the wickedness that is inside of their heart. Fire is also a sign of acceptance. We see in the story of Elijah when he was 
uh, combating the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18 that uh, there was a dispute between him and the prophets of Baal that Elijah, he went to King Ahab and Jezebel and uh, basically told him, you know, let's have a showdown here between the God of, of, uh, of Molech and all these other foreign gods, Baal in particular, and let's have a, a showdown between Je- Jehovah, Yahweh, and they went on a mountain. And look what the challenge here is, that a, the true God, how he's going to respond to show that he's actually the real true God. First Kings 18, verse 22, Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire. He says, look, you can't bring this fire. This fire has to come from something supernatural. And we have all sorts of counterfeits. All sorts of um, substitutes that we see in churches. And not necessarily trying to knock anybody. But, you know, church service has become nothing but a show. We got smoke machines. We don't have Shekinah glory no more. We got lights and all sorts of other stuff. We're not going to need any of that stuff to have a good time in church. When the Holy Ghost fire came, I wasn't looking at no lights. <laughs> Tell you that right now. Now, I'm not knocking those who do, okay? Y'all worship how you want to. I'm just saying... It's when I look at churches today, it just looks like a concert. And our senses are being stimulated, but our souls are not being changed. A good emotional high, a good feeling, but no transformation, no conviction, no repentance. You can't bring this fire. This is a fire you cannot bring. You can bring the fuel. You can summon even bring the heat with your will to a certain degree. Pardon the pun. But you also, God has to ignite it. The Holy Spirit has to come through and breathe under that thing to give it life. Otherwise, there's no fire. He said, look, y'all, you cannot cheat. You cannot put fire in this thing with your own efforts. This has got to come from something supernatural. Verse 24, and call you on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. It's the God that answers by fire. Fire was a sign of acceptance. When the fire of God came down from heaven and that sacrifice was consumed, it was a sign that that sacrifice had been accepted by God. Whenever we see someone going to receive the Holy Ghost and the fire of God comes down and begins to burn in them, what you're seeing is that God says, I accept this person. I approve of them. They have been forgiven of all of their sins, all of their transgressions, and all of their iniquities. They've been pardoned. And that's why there's an ignition inside them. There's a joy. There's an illumination, a radiation that comes from them. Because they have now been accepted by the Father. They've now been accepted into the kingdom of God. They've now been brought into the beloved. They are now one of God's children. Fire is a sign of acceptance. It's a sign of judgment. We often look at judgment as being a bad thing, but it could be a good thing. Because God judged me righteous. God judged me as being righteous despite my mistakes, despite my frailties and my fallacies. God judged me righteous and said, this person is forgiven. He condescended to my lowest state and pardoned my transgression. And the sign, the sign, people, that my sins have been forgiven, the sign that I've been accepted into the beloved is that he filled me with Holy Ghost fire. A fire that you can see, a fire that you can feel, a fire that can change your life. He filled me with the Holy Ghost and fire. Fire breaks the bonds. If we want to see deliverance in our church, we've got to have Holy Ghost fire. We've got to have Holy Ghost fire. I can't give you a self-help tape. I can't, can't, you know, give you a three-step process. We'll do step one and then you do step two. This isn't Alcoholic Anonymous. What you need is a supernatural divine encounter with the living God. There is no legislation that can solve the sin problem. No politician, no doctor, no, no medicinal drug that can be given to er- eradicate the stain of sin that is within our souls and cause our, ourselves to become a new creation. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can set me free from the ravages of Satan himself who had his talons engraved in, in, in stabbing me in the back and holding, himself to, holding myself to him. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. 
Holy Ghost fire is the only thing strong enough to break apart the spiritual bonds that hold us down. And the problem with the church is that it doesn't want to let go of that which is necessary to fuel the fire. Our passion is hot enough to ignite it, but our will blocks the wind of God's spirit from blowing on us. Fire reveals what's within something. It breaks down the elements. The only way that we can defeat Satan is through the fire of the Holy Ghost. When the children of Israel were going to take the promised land, look what God tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 1. He says, Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day, to go in to, to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself, cities great and fenced up to heaven, a people great and tall, the children of the Anakims, whom thou knowest and of, of whom thou hast heard say, who can stand before the children of Anak. Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee as a consuming fire. He shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord hath said unto thee. I'm facing a situation that's bigger than me, that's stronger than me. That's okay. My Lord is a consuming fire. He's going to go before me. I want you to understand here. When you look at the narrative of Scripture, when God was bringing the children of Israel out of bondage from slavery to the Egyptians, what led them out was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and whenever the Egyptians came close to recapture the children of Israel the Bible says that the pillar of fire went behind them and separated them from their captors what you need to get free is Holy Ghost fire that when the enemies come in to get me the fire of the Holy Ghost is my rearward it's my defense it's my fortress my shield my buckler it's in whom I trust it goes behind me it keeps me and guides me and directs me because thy word is a lamp under my feet and a light, a fire under my path. All you need is Holy Ghost fire. Holy Ghost fire ignited by the word of God when you're fighting against the enemy. Even though the enemy is bigger, he cannot withstand the fire, the fervency, the heat of the glory of God. The Bible said in Psalm 63 verse 1, I'm sorry, Psalm 68 verse 1, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let them that hate him flee before him as smoke is driven away. So let the wicked perish at the presence of God as a fire is kindled and ignited. We want to have the Holy Ghost in fire. That's how you beat the enemy. That's how you get strongholds burned down. You got to get fire. We got to get fire going in our word, in our praying. So how do we get a fire started? I'm going to close with this. Been talking about fire. Okay, that's great. We need to fire. How do I get one started? There are three things that typically is used to start a, a really good fire. Number one, you need tinder. Tinder is anything that catches fire quickly like dry bark and leaves. It's usually very thin. Um, very dry, like a straw, you know, very, like they say about this thin, about as far as its diameter, something very thin. Because the thing is, it needs to be somewhat thin to allow oxygen to really get in it, to allow it to breathe, to ignite. So first you get tinder. And tinder, it ignites very quickly. It's dry, it's, it's just ready. It's just, it's just, it's at the line, it's ready just to go, ready to just get ignited. Just the slightest spark, a cigarette drop on the floor, or, or someone with a sparkler on the 4th of July. Just one little, just one little thing will just set it off, and that will just, it will start to burn. It will burn hot, and it will burn quick. And our analogy here, the first thing, we need to start a fire. We need praise. Hebrews 4.15 says, but by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. One of the best ways to start a fire is just get a praise break going on. Just just begin to count your blessings and name them one by one. And you'll see all what the Lord has done. Begin to praise God. Remember in the Old Testament that the sacrifices of God had to be offered with fire. And where you offered the sacrifices was in the outer court of the tabernacle. In Psalm 100 verse 4 it says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Begin to praise him. Begin to worship him. Whenever I try to pray for people to receive the Holy Ghost, the first thing I start telling them to do is begin to thank God for loving us sinner for loving a wretch like me oh you need to open your mouth and begin to bless the lord oh magnify the lord with me and let us exalt his name together begin to open your mouth and begin to praise god and something begins to stir inside of you the tinder begins to start to get a little bit hot as we begin to praise god it's quick it's hot that's just to get this started you get the tinder next you need something called kindling small sticks that burns longer than tinder and helps ignite 
and to fuel the wood. Now I need something with a little bit more substance, something a little bit thicker to kind of get things moving. Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, and we're baptized in, in Jordan talking about John the Baptist, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore meats of fruit for, uh, to, for repentance. In other words, uh, more than just praising God, but I need to confess some things to God. I need to get some things right with God. It's not enough that you just come and have a praise break, uh, but you need to get your life in order. You need to confess your sins. Uh, what's also interesting here, that in the outer court of the tabernacle, you had the burnt offering, you had the bronze altar where you would burn the offering to God. But next to it, you had the laver, which is where the priests would go and wash themselves after they had been doing their burnt offerings and getting all the blood and all the stuff off of them. The laver represents the cleansing power of repentance. When David said, create in me, O God, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, you need to repent and bring something to the table that shows God that you're a little bit more serious than just praising me. Because the Bible says in Psalm 150, let everything that hath breath praise you, the Lord. Anything that breathes can praise God but not everyone repents to serve God. And so God says, you need a little bit more substance if you're going to sustain this fire, this Holy Ghost fire that you're bringing. So first I start praising God. Second, I start repenting and confessing my sins to God, dedicating myself to God, giving myself over to him. Then finally, we need, we need the wood. Larger logs that are used to burn for long periods of time. Matthew 10, says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now the way to sustain the fire is not enough that you can praise God. It's not enough that you come to the altar and you confess and you weep over your sin. But do you have a made-up mind that when I get up from this altar, I'm not going to go back to the sin I had. I'm going to be, in, I'm going to endure unto the end. God, I'm holding on to God's unchanging hand. And when you have that type of attitude that come what hell or high water, come what may, but I'm sticking with Jesus all the way. I'm staying with God no matter what comes. I'm going to fight through the darkness and through all the things that are coming against me. When you finally make a decision and a choice to serve God, even though mommy and daddy forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Even if I lose my job, I'm sickened with Jesus. Though my wife or my husband goes, I'm sickened with Jesus. When you got that type of attitude like Job and said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Yet will I keep with him. Yet will I stay with him. The devil cannot pour out this fire. The devil cannot put you out of when you've got a made up mind. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God in the good and in the bad. I'll say as David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. When you get a made up mind, I'm going to do Jesus no matter what. That's when Holy Ghost fire comes. Somebody lift up your voice and give God some praise up in here. Holy Ghost and fire. Holy Ghost and fire. Why don't we start a fire in here? Let we start a fire in here and let everyone know. On Azusa Street, people could see that the church was on fire. They called the fire department because they thought the church was burning down. But what it was was Holy Ghost. When they came and they just saw people speaking in tongues and praising God. Let's get a fire started in here. Where's your fire? Where's your passion? Where's your heat? Where is your desire? We need to be like David who said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life uh, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Uh, somebody lift up your hands. Uh, lift up your voice all over this place. Uh, let's ignite a fire right now. Begin to praise God. Uh, begin to thank him for his goodness. Uh, begin to thank him for his mercy. Begin to thank him for his faithfulness. Uh, begin to thank him for his loving kindness. Uh, oh God, uh, you're such a good God. Uh, there's not a God like thee in the heaven nor in the earth uh, which keepeth covenant and showeth mercy under all the servants. Uh, oh Lord, our Lord, uh, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings as thou ordained strength because of thine enemies. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. We have founded upon the seas and established upon the flood. Who shall ascend on the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure 
pure heart will not lift up his soul unto vanity. Hallelujah. Or sworn deceitfully. This is the generation that's seeking us. That seek thy face, O Jacob. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Come on, somebody. And praise God up in here. God is setting you free right now. God is setting you free right now. It's fire that breaks the bondages of sin. It's fire that breaks the bondage of sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And forget all his benefits. Who forgiveth all that iniquities. Who healeth all that diseases. Who renews your youth like the eagles. And crowns your life with good things. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Woo, Jesus. Hey. Somebody ignite the fire. I'm out of time. <laughs> Let's bring this to the next service as well. Don't lose this now. Don't cool down. Don't cool off. Keep bringing the fuel. Keep bringing the heat. Now the Holy Ghost to blow in you and through you. I got to quit. I, I would like to keep going, but I got to quit. Y'all keep praying though. I, I got to quit. I just have to dismiss. <laughs> Praise God. We're going to dismiss in prayer. And uh, we're going to have an awesome time next service. Somebody's going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. I believe that today. Somebody's going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Let us pray today. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the fire of the Holy Ghost. We thank you that the same fire that saved my granddaddy saved me. Thank you that it's it's unchanging, it's powerful, it always works. And we pray in the name of Jesus that your power, your fire would manifest in this house. God, that it would not go out, that the fire on the altar would never go out. That it would incinerate, obliterate, annihilate every ungodly thing that's within our hearing. In the name of Jesus, we pray for Holy Ghost and fire, for sinners to come to repentance, for people to be born again. Bless, I pray, and only as you can. Have your way in this service. We thank you and praise you and worship you. And we give you all the glory and the honor. And in Jesus' name, let the church of the living God say amen. God bless you. Woo, thank you, Lord. Y'all keep praising. I'm just, I got to get things rolled up here. Hallelujah.